0: transformative change is difficult but it can also be a powerful catalyst for growth and innovation my name is michael carter and i am the president and managing partner of level five and you are listening to the opportunity unleashed podcast each episode i get to speak with an inspiring business leader who has successfully championed transformative change within their organization and or have had to navigate it within the market they play in regardless of the challenge they have demonstrated incredible leadership throughout the journey. Today I'm really excited to welcome Paul Jackson, COO of Gore Mutual Insurance Company, Canada's oldest insurer. It's mind boggling for me to think that you've been selling insurance products for 200 years and what you just shared with me, which is even more mind boggling, is it's all been done organically. Uh, So welcome, Paul. Thanks for for joining us for this edition of uh, Opportunity Unleashed. Well,
1: thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. To spend the time with you. I don't know what you're going to ask me, so it's going to be a journey of discovery for me for sure, but uh, great to be here. You'll be great, I have no
0: doubt. So first off, I think, is for not everybody's familiar with what a mutual insurer is versus a regular insurer. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the differences and maybe a little bit about Gore and what makes Gore unique.
1: Yeah, sure. Topic close to my heart. So most insurers started out as mutuals and what that means in effect is that the the assets of the company are, are sort of um, Um, owned by the policyholders. And, you know, our company started in 1839, as you point out, almost 200 years ago. And it was built by a group of pioneers, really. These were people who had come to Canada, mainly from the UK, Scotland and Ireland. And, you know, at at that point, um, what is now Cambridge, the head office of our business, which has been the head office since 1839, that was sort of the Western uh, sort of, Uh, you know frontier if you like and these people were coming um, you know not in the way that we do now by by airplane but you know they would made an arduous journey to get here to make a new life for themselves and doing that at the western frontier was fraught with risk and one of the most significant risks that people were uh, afraid of was fire Mm -hmm. you know if you build a business or if you're building farming or, or manufacturing or you're building homes and communities you know, fire can just take you out, um, and so you know, they came together to uh, protect each other from from the uh, the threat of fire. You know, if one business burns to the ground, everybody else will will support. Um, and so mutual companies popped up all over uh, Canada and the U.S. during that time, as communities you know were emerging. And our company um, was actually started in Brantford, Ontario, uh, moved very quickly to. Galt, what is now mm-hmm. Cambridge. Um, and we've been in continuous operations ever since, That's which great. is really extraordinary. It is. Um, you know, no, no uh, transaction to speak oh. of, you know, no m and uh, per se, but the business has just grown organically. You know, one of the characteristics of a mutual company is that, certainly in the Canadian market, it's difficult to bring in third-party capital from mm-hmm. the outside to fuel your growth. And so, you know, the balance sheet is everything. Protecting the balance sheet mm-hmm. is the most important part of the uh, of the role of management and the board, um, and so these companies tend to be quite conservative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you spend what you earn, and mm-hmm. you think about the very, very long term. And so, you know, I think one of the characteristics of our business is that for for decades and decades, the management, the board of the company, have been looking into the long term, protecting the uh, the uh, the assets. To ensure the sustainability of the company, so they're unique businesses. They're quite different from shareholder-driven organizations. Um, you know, where you're producing quarterly results and you're being held to account by uh, by, by your shareholders. Uh, we're certainly held to account, but on a much more long-term basis, um, and it's really about sort of steady, conservative, um, sustainable growth.
0: So you talked a little bit about how you know by nature, mutuals are a little more conservative. You've done this in-house the whole two, well, almost 200 years, wind the clock forward a little bit because you've embarked on a journey recently that some would argue isn't so conservative, right? You've kind of taken uh, this transformation journey to another level, you started it in 2019, it's pretty much gonna affect every corner of the business. What was the impetus behind deciding to make that leap, if you will, into a transformation journey?
1: Yeah, 2019 was a, a really uh, pivotal year for our organization um, I think you know one of the characteristics of the mutual companies that I, that I sort of just explained is that um, you know uh, they're typically quite conservative and take a long-term view. But that can also breed a bit of apathy into the organisation, a sort of a bit of an insular sense of our own um, sustainability. And, and the reality is that whether we like it or not, we're competing in a highly commercial market with scale players that are kept on their toes by their shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, creates an environment of innovation, growth, and development. And you can't sort of choose not to participate in that. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we we, uh, we set about doing a piece of strategy work, which we called Project Next Horizon. And the horizon was actually ten years. Um, at the time, I was the chief uh, distribution marketing officer, and I worked sort of. Uh, you know, in lockstep with our CFO, Mm -hmm. uh, Andy Taylor, and he and I led that piece of strategy work. And and, and as it sort of unfolded over the course of the year, we realised there are a couple of directions we could take this work. We could sort of present a reasonably um, balanced view of where we sat in the broader market, you know, probably would have created a little bit of change here and there, or we could really present a challenging um, and sort of transformative uh, point of view of you know, who we are and where we fit in a market that's changing rapidly. And when we looked out 10 years, what we realized is that the business that we had was likely not sustainable. And, you know, that's kind of a, that's not an insignificant conclusion to reach. It's a pretty big statement. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, halfway through the process, we sort of had a bit of a moment where we realized, actually, what we're getting into here is something really quite significant about the future of our 200-year-old company. And, and I'd look at it in two ways. There's a there's sort of a, a, an inside view and an outside view. The inside view is, you know, we concluded that we just didn't have the scale to compete. Um, we were a regional company. You know, we were about four hundred million dollars in premium, which in general insurance terms is, is not significant. Um, and and we were we were we were losing against the competition um, who were deploying scale benefits into the market. We were also seeing lots of consolidation going on. So you know, the big, we're getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second piece is we lack diversification, really important in insurance when you're insuring uh, properties particularly, um, which is a huge part of our business. You want to have that diversification. You want to be playing in different markets. Um, you know, we experienced weather-related, uh, you know, big claims events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll, you, you, you know, you'll, uh, you'll realise one of those in one geography. You want to balance that in another one where you, you perhaps uh, have, you know, have a good year. So diversification is really important in insurance. And the third piece, which is really fundamental to our journey, is that we couldn't find meaningful ways to access third-party capital. Mm-hmm. So the size of our balance sheet was, in effect, what we had to play with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's an inherent constraint in a, in a business like ours. And it's one that is really central to all of your decision making. So that was the inside stuff. Then we looked at the outside and we saw consolidation of distribution, con- consolidation of, uh, of insurers, lots of opportunity for taking cost out of those businesses and, um, you know, attracting talent and doing really transformative stuff around data and analytics um claims delivery underwriting you know the s- scale matters in general insurance or in almost every dimension we also saw advancements in technology you know we were on at the time multiple legacy it systems in a small company you know we were really really constrained by our by you know ourselves uh, but we saw scale players going to sort of single unified platforms i mean it's totally game-changing from a from a cost and uh and, uh, and uh, you know, the scale standpoint,
0: um, customer expectations were changing. Yes, even a customer centric, your ability to be more flexible and nimble in the marketplace. Yeah. to serve customers.
1: Yeah, abso- absolutely. And we, had, we at the time we had an offer which was pretty much limited to what it was because of our systems, our talent, um, you know, our ability to invent and create just limited by our size and our you know uh, disproportionate complexity. Um, you know, we also saw you know much more of an o- onerous regulatory environment on the horizon. That's actually coming to pass. So that's very difficult for smaller companies. Um, you know, you don't get a pass uh, from the regulators because you're small. There's an expectation. There's a there's a there's a benchmark, and you have to hit it. So if it's tougher for you because you're a smaller company, it just makes it harder and more expensive. And then the last piece, which has really emerged in the last couple of years, as Uh, as a sort of an accelerating catalyst for us is, um, climate change, which is Mm. central to what we do in, in, uh, property casualty insurance. Um, you know, so we're, we're seeing now, um, a much higher frequency of weather related claims events, whether it's, you know, wind or fire or hail or, you know, rain, um, you know, across the, across the, the weather spectrum, it's happening much more frequently. Um, And it's happening in a way which is creating um, really significant claims events for us, which changes the economics of our business. It makes reinsurance more expensive. It makes reinsurance a little more difficult to obtain for some of the smaller mutuals, for sure. Um, and, and, And overall, just increases the volatility and the cost of operating our business. So when you add all the internal stuff to the external stuff, it became really clear to us that we needed a major transformation of our organization across all dimensions. So, you know, it wasn't just a new IT system, although that was central to what we did. It was also a new uh, a new sort of vision for the future, a new culture, and certainly a new strategy, totally new operations. Um, and so what we did in the first phase of our transformation uh, between 2020 and 22 is we just we just built basically a completely new business on the platform that we had. So um, you know, we, we do have now a single unified uh, mm-hmm. technology platform, which is completely game-changing for our ability to scale efficiently. Um, you know, we started, we had about 300 employees. We now have about 650 employees of the original 300, not actually that many left. Uh, <laughs> I am one of them, so yeah. I'm almost 10 years in now. I'm definitely a legacy employee. There's a few of us, but a lot of new people, new talent have come from the outside bringing new ideas and new ways of doing things that's completely sort of
0: tipped right. our organization. Because you need a mindset shift in an exercise like that, right? It's, yeah. it's not the old way of doing things. It's not just the functional elements of your job, but it's how you approach your job, how you approach the company, what you buy into, right? So it does oftentimes take quite a bit of change in the body of the organization itself.
1: Yeah, and it was much needed for yeah. us. Um, yeah. You know, like a lot of companies uh, of our size, we had a lot of long... Yeah. term employees and you know fantastic people who've done a fantastic job but this was a this was a complete transformation of the business and it needed yeah. Um, sort of a real renewal of thinking, yeah. as, as you say.
0: And well, for those you of us, those... I've talked about it before too. It's, it's this notion of because you've done so well for almost two hundred years, right? And, uh, favorite quote: of Another colleague of mine is, "You know, success breeds complacency." You and I've talked about that statement. We before. have. Yeah, yeah. Here's a perfect example of that. Where yeah. it's tough to get people out of their shell, outside of their comfort zone, to think differently. Yeah, and and, and and you know, honestly, that was a real challenge for people like me, people who
1: who were making the bridge out of the old company into the new one. You know, I you know I I come into the office every day thinking. You know, I've got to be—I've got to be a different leader. Mm-hmm. I've got to renew myself before I can even imagine renewing the organization. Yeah. And, and you know, that's hard because you, you sort of you change, and people see the change. And some people say, "Wow, well, I love I love how you're changing. You know, you're saying the right stuff, and I, and it's really inspiring. And I want to come with you." And you know. Honestly, other people don't like it, and they say, "I don't know what's happened to you." you, know, they, you know, they <laughs> Where's used to, the old Paul? <laughs> yeah, I used to. I used to like you. And, what have you, uh, you done with Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 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 that was that. But that was critical yeah. to the success of the transformation. Because yeah. if we'd, you know, if we tried to put in a new IT system, but we basically all showed up as the same people as we uh, we were before. I mean, we, we weren't going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so we knew this thing needed to be talent, technology, and operating model all at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, and and you know that that um that led us to uh, you know you, you know we need people who can really think ambitiously and differently about where we take this this business mm-hmm. and and you know some people stayed with us and have been hugely successful and I'm very very proud of those people yeah. actually um and a lot of people decided you know it's not for me I need to be somewhere else and that's again totally fine and i and i was you know, we, we actually celebrated a lot of people who left our business um for the outstanding contribution that yeah, they'd made yeah. over the years. But you know, they said, It's not for me, and we said, Okay, that sort of feels yeah. right. And and so, you know, they went off and did something else. And that made room for us to bring in, as I said, yeah. people who just brought a completely new point of view to the business.
0: So you really saw this listening to your talk about it and it gives me some perspective. I mean, this was a must-have, not a nice to have. This wasn't something you kind of Maybe maybe we should and maybe we shouldn't. You saw this as an opportunity to really future proof the business in light of both internal and external dynamics that were going on. Yeah, I mean Andy and I felt it
1: was yeah. um, it was a must-have. Right. Um, and you know, we reached that conclusion, as I said, before we'd even finished yeah. the strategy work. Right. We knew what this was and we knew that the threats to our business were existential. Mm-hmm. And you know, challenging part of that for us was to take that story to our board. Um, you know, because you know, for years we'd been saying to our board, you know, we're a good business, and we do all right, and you know, here's some good results, and everybody yeah, seems we can happy. keep
0: doing that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and and that was true. I yeah. mean, it was a good business, yeah. but it was it was a business that faced a, not just one, but a series of existential threats yeah. that we felt were going to take it out at some point. You know, yeah. you know, on the horizon. That's why we call yeah. the thing Next Horizon, um, and so that was a journey. I have to say, though, our board were magnificent throughout, That's good. hugely supportive. Know, very smart really understood what we were what we were saying and and not only supported us but actually really drove the program um, That's great. knowing that there was there was so much risk and they you know they knew that what we were saying yeah. is new company so not not iteration yeah. or you know like tweaking but new company and they fully supported that and you know so far it's been uh, really successful Good. There are some, there are some challenges ahead for sure. Yep. But so far as it's, there is it's with any uh, transformation, right? So, yeah, yeah.
0: so switching gears a little bit, talk to me about purpose. You know, there's a lot of companies pay lip, lip service to it. It's hot topic. Very few companies in our experience, genuinely embrace their purpose to help it, you know, guide decision-making, create the identity of the company and so forth. It's one of the things I've always appreciated about Gore is you are one of those few companies that really embrace your purpose. Um, And I'd just love to get a sense from you in terms of what, you know, how does the purpose of the organization, um, you know, insurance that does good, how does that manifest itself in the organization? And do you even have metrics that you measure against that? Because it is something that is very prominent, not just throughout the leadership team, but, you know, in the organization itself. I'm curious to get your take on purpose.
1: Yeah, well, you know, purpose is deeply embedded in who we are as an organization. Right back to the beginning of our conversation, actually, about, you know, what's a mutual company? Yeah. Um, you, you know, by definition, it has to be a purpose-driven organisation. One of our board members actually said um, to us during the initial stages of Next Horizon, you know, if, you're, if, if we're going to remain a mutual company, if we're not going to convert to a stock company, we're going to remain a mutual company, which was, we were very clear that was our mm-hmm. plan, then you have to define what's the point. You know, it's a pretty cutting question. Yeah. You know, what, what he's saying is what's the point of the whole thing? And, and it really gets to it. You know, we can come in and, and, and we can manufacture insurance products and we can sell them through brokers and we can play in the open market and we can make a margin. But, but, but what's the point? No. Yeah. Um, you know, because there's no shareholder return. So, so, so that was really sort of a probing question. And, and where we landed was, with insurance that does good is that, you know, if we're going to do this every day and we're going to make a margin, then what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with the profits of the organisation and and actually you know when when you get to it it's pretty simple it is the whole point of a mutual insurance company is that you're creating value and then you disperse that value back out mm. to the communities in which you do business and but we needed to put a spin on that in a way that could connect with our stakeholders our employees our brokers our customers the communities in which we do business and you know a lot of mutual companies grapple with what does mutuality mean in the modern world? You know, no one cares. You go out in the street and ask people; they're not. You know, there's no awareness of what that means. But but we we got it to a place where we felt as if it started to really resonate. Uh, and we caught so we call our strategy our next horizon strategy, purpose driven, mm-hmm. digitally led. Mm-hmm. And what we're trying to get to there is the balance between being a purpose driven organization that does good for the communities in which we do business actively actively participates in doing good but at the same time the digitally led piece what that talks to is we have to have a high performance business that can compete in the mm-hmm. open commercial market with the scale shareholder players because the the two things sort of need to coexist if we're not a high performance business then we're not creating value and then there's no uh, value to then put back into the communities and and if we're, you know, if we're a high performing business, but we don't, we're not purpose driven, then what, what are we doing creating end. value yeah. to what end exactly? Yeah. 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 So it's really in sort of quite deeply intrinsic to who we are, this idea of purpose driven, digitally led. And we're now on a journey of really exploring what, what do we actually want to do hmm. with that value? Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's yeah. unfolding because I think it's you know, part of
0: the transformation. It,
1: it, it yeah. is. Yeah. And, you know, one thing you said earlier is, is right. Um, um, you know, if you scan the websites of all the biggest shareholder driven insurance companies in the world they 're all purpose driven mm-hmm. right so it's web service. It, it, but we and we can we get that so the challenge for us I think as a as a truly as a mutual company is how do we take a step up from that yep. so that we can say to our stakeholders, we truly are purpose driven The entire point of us being here is to yep. um, you know create value that does good and and uh, you know that's not that bit isn 't as easy actually.
0: Yeah, and you've heard us talk about it over the years, probably, you know, we have this view that you know brand is the value of a promise consistently kept. And so it's easy to make that promise. You could like you said, I can check websites and they say wonderful things, but do you have the proof points that suggest, not just to your customers, but to the market and to your other stakeholders, that you're actually delivering against that and it's believable, which is hugely powerful and quite frankly a bigger driver of value creation. Yeah, and and, and you know, one of the one of the uh the
1: paradoxes of this, the challenges is that sometimes the purpose-driven and digitally led, they compete with each other. Um, You know, because, you know, in my role as the chief operating officer, I'm often asked to make decisions in the business and they're commercial decisions. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there is a trade-off from that decision, you know, um, unfavorably to our purpose. And but we check ourselves and we check each other on this. You know, we're always it's a litmus sort of test saying, that you actually, which is fascinating, because you do use it as a bit of a litmus test. Yeah, we're making decisions, which we is do. immensely powerful. And, and, and sometimes we'll consciously make that trade-off, right. um, especially in areas like you know pricing, yeah. actuarial pricing, um, in risk selection. You know, so we, we're not going to we're not going to purposefully damage the economics of our business in favor of our purpose. But I do recognise that. Yeah. Um, that you know, if you want to be truly purpose driven, then that then that 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 is a that is that is a tough one. Yeah. But That's the way tough. our business, the way insurance works, is, you know, you, you you can find yourself in a really difficult spot if you make bad business decisions, and you know the way I look at it more holistically and long term, is. I'd rather make some short-term business decisions in favor of the economics that might be unfavorable to the purpose for the long-term position that we need a sustainable, right. profitable business so in order to actually purpose. have that yeah. impact. Yeah, that makes so.
0: sense. So you you touched on this already. You know, I'm going to call it you're halfway through this exercise, this transformation. You mentioned earlier about having to even reinvent your own style a little bit as you've gone through here. What other lessons have you learned over the last few years having embarked on this journey? Is there anything else that you can think of that is, you know, new to your kind of what you've learned versus what you knew going into it. Yeah, it's
1: been a real journey personally, yeah. actually. Um, you know, we, we often joke in the business that, we, you know, we've all given ourselves a sort of five-year MBA here um, <laughs> doing this um, because we've all been on a, you know, sort of vertical learning curve and everything that's come at us, it's been the first time we've tackled it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's relentless, it just keeps coming. Uh, and, you know, we were lucky. We, we, we did bring in um, a whole bunch of consultants at the beginning of the process. We had, you know, all sorts of smart people in the business um, that helped to put some uh, framework and, you know, some yep. um, discipline and rigor around how we were tackling the early part of the transformation. You know, we stood up a transformation office and reorganized ourselves a little bit, which was kind of scary. You know, mm-hmm. it's w- when you start changing A business like that, you know, you realize, okay, well, we're doing this. It's real. You're in the risk business and you're embarking on some pretty good risk. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we were writing some pretty big checks as well. So you realize, okay, you know, there's no turning back here. But I think, you know, the way we tackled the transformation was in what we call S-curves because it sort of like it represents a journey up a mountain. So three S-curves. S1, which we called Be Brilliant, was really this hardcore transformation of our business talent technology operating model and it was it was very disciplined and very uh process driven so it was a it was a real um it was a real marathon to get through two to three years of a yep. system operating model talent uh, uh transformation and it sort of suited my uh i suppose natural leadership <laughs> style i'm a bit of you know i thought i was a bit of a command and control sort of leader This required a bit of command and control. You know, like, you know, we're not going to debate this. We're going to get on with it. Yeah. yeah, And and the way we organized it was very tight at the top of the organization. And we drove the business down from the top. Um, Very tight decision making uh, groups, uh, a very high velocity. We do daily stand ups. You know, things would get discussed, but for a very limited amount of time, you know, decision, decision, decision. Um, And it was also, uh, I would say, a sort of programmatic approach to transformation. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of um, need for debate about what we were going to do. We knew what we were going to do. We just needed to get on and do it, execute it really well. So that was S1B brilliant. We're we're through that now. That that build is done. The systems are in, the op model's in. And now we're into this S2 that we call pivot to performance. And the idea of that is you know we built the platform we built the core business the platform we spent a lot of money we put about 10 years of our typical capital investment into 2 years wow. and we now have world class technology we have a totally scalable operating model and fantastic people all over the business the challenge for us now is we got to make this thing work hard for us it's still the operate the operations are still too expensive we 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 haven't uh, fully realized the benefits of the Uh, technology platform yet Um, and there's all sorts of places around the business where the work hasn't been finished or it hasn't uh it hasn't yet yet started to deliver the value and so back to your question about you know what have i learned you know we're about probably a year or so into this s2 Mm -hmm. and what what i've realized is that it's messy it's really messy s1 very programmatic top-down Type decision making, command and control, and and I was really familiar with that, and I, <laughs> I understood that, and yeah. I would go to work every day, and I, and I knew exactly what my role was. Particularly in my in, in my, I mean, that was yeah. basically the essence of my role was like yeah. get it done. But this S two is messy. There's no standard operating procedure. We're, There's no playbook. There's no playbook. Yeah. The consultants are all gone. We're on our own, and we're trying to make this thing work. And you know the the sort of the 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 leadership journey that I've been on in the last sort of year or so has been to really step off the field and step up onto the balcony and try to coordinate a better approach to running the business and not, not instruct a better approach. So it's more coach mm-hmm. rather than instructor. And I'm really trying to get to a place where we can empower the middle of our organization to really make the decisions that they know themselves they have the expertise they have the skill sets the capabilities they know what we need to do empower them give them the space to really drive the business without someone like me issuing instructions all the time yeah. and, and you know frankly i also learned i don't have the answers to most of the problems yeah actually yeah. what what's needed for me is a tremendous amount of alignment coordination clarity vision uh you know, coaching, but people don't need me to give them the answers, and frankly, that's good because I don't have the answers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been a really um, fascinating journey for me to go on, and you know, honestly, uh, it was scary because I know command and control. I don't know this. I don't even know what this is called. But it feels yeah. great for me personally, yeah. uh, and, and we're starting to see the results come through, and different types of results: employee engagement survey, better results. Yeah. Uh, you know, turnover because they lower, own it, right? Yeah, now they don't um, it, yeah. And people, you know, people want to hear me say to them, You're a fantastic person, you know exactly what you're doing, get on and do it, you know what needs I to trust be done. You. get I have on your back. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm you know, I'm not fully there yet as no, a leader, sorry. but it's really quite um, it's quite uh, liberating for me. Good. I also feel like I've learned a lot, um, but it's different from our first phase, yeah. and it's you know, it takes time to find your feet.
0: So phase one and two, you know what you know now. If you could go back and wind the clock back three or four years when you were planning all this out, what advice would you give to yourself now that you know what you know?
1: Yeah, you know, um, great question. Um, the, the way insurance works is decisions you make this year, you typically see the uh, the, the consequences of those decisions in maybe you know two, 18 months to two years subsequent to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think maybe in the first S-curve, the Be Brilliant program, I think perhaps we were too um, short-term in the way we were looking at things. So it really was a get-it-done yeah. job. And maybe we didn't look far enough out. Um, and you know, one of the tools that I'm bringing to the business this year is this concept of, we call it the ambidextrous organization, where you've got leaders who both sort of exploit the core capabilities of the business, who get the job done every day, produce the results... And also leaders who explore, you know, where are we going next? What are the consequences? What does two years out look like? How
0: do we prepare for that? Because it's coming. Right. Getting some time to think about the future as opposed to worry about today and tomorrow. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And so I think the learning for me was that we spent almost all of our time on exploit yeah. and not enough on explore, even though we had a 10-year strategy, yeah. which we've been very um, sort of, I'd say, uh, uh, rigorous in, 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 in following. Um, But I think, you know, we made some decisions in those first couple of years. We're now seeing the consequences Mm -hmm. of of those, really around the performance of some parts of the business. That Had we made different decisions back then, we would be in maybe a better spot now. So I think the learning for me is, uh, from a leadership standpoint, is, you know, every day you come to work, you've got to be spending some time on exploit and some time on explore. You can't pick one or the other. You know, if you're spending all of your time in explore, then you know you're, you're not running a good business. Yeah, but but I think the learning for me is if you spend all of your time in exploit, then you know two years from now, which seems a long way away from now, it comes in the blink of an eye, and all of a sudden you you are on the defense or you're yeah. sort of picking up the pieces of decisions you made, um, you know, years ago.
0: And I'd even say listening to you speak, especially as the needs from leaders like you evolve, depending on where you are in those phases. You need to be thinking about what's needed of you in phase two and three while you're in phase one, or else it catches up with you. Like I said, now you're kind of, it's not sequential. Yeah. It's something that needs to be balanced throughout the entire exercise, even though different phases may require different versions of you. Yeah. It's knowing when to turn those things on and off. And yeah, that's fascinating.
1: Well, and, and, you know, that, you're onto something there. That comment around what's needed from you, that really resonates with me because, you know, again, part of my personal journey here is that. You know, I have the same job title as I had yeah. at the beginning of this in, in 2020. But what I actually do in the organization is completely different. And, you know, that's a little scary, too, because when you're on a transformation journey like this, you know, everybody likes to know what's my job, what's my job going to be? <laughs> you know, what do I do? Yeah. People like it sort of, you know, bit of security around that. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm like everybody else. Yeah, I like it. Sure. But, but what I've learned is that you have to let it unfold in front of you. And, you know, that really, um, it really scratches at your sort of your self-confidence and your self-assurance. You know, what, what skills and expertise do you bring? How do you develop and grow as a leader? Uh, You know, because we're changing the organization today, right? You know, right now, we're we're in a, we're in a period of leadership change, um, which is involving me sort of relinquishing some of the stuff that I've been running for a while, moving into some different space, you know, it's kind of, it's, uh, you know, it's a little, it's a little uh, scary. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but again, you you know, I feel like this is the right thing for the organization. And so I ask myself, you know, frequently, you know, what am I good at? What am I passionate about? Mm -hmm. What does the organization need from me? And I'm trying to find the sweet spot and The Venn diagram in the middle. Yeah, yeah it's three yeah. circles, and there's yeah. a spot right in the middle of that where, where, where you, you get the balance of you know what skills do I bring that I know are, are um, value creating, what what gets me up in the, in the morning, like what's yeah. going to actually get me motivated, but also what does the business need yeah. from me, and that changes. What the business needs from you changes. Yeah. But having a level of consciousness on that, I think, is is uh, you know, it's quite empowering, actually.
0: Yeah, I always find as leaders, you have to learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, and because things change all the time, and you need to be able to adapt. And no, number one, know yourself well, but also understand what the needs of you are from the external organization as well. Yeah, Paul, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I it's, I always enjoy spending time with you because I find your passion for your business is quite infectious and inspiring. And I love listening to not just your story about Gore, but your stories about yourself and your own journey that you've been on. So I always thought you'd be a great uh, a great candidate for this podcast. And I think our, our listeners will enjoy it as well. But uh, I just want to thank you again for taking the time. And I wish you continued success both with your own career, let alone Gore and the journey that it's on. So thanks again. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Opportunity Unleashed, a level five podcast where I profile inspiring leaders who have successfully navigated transformative change in their careers and or businesses. Our goal is to share great stories and hopefully leave you with a few pearls of wisdom that you can learn from. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check back soon for our next interview.